Well, if you have a Bible, please would you turn with me to Luke's Gospel and chapter 10. Luke's Gospel and chapter 10, verses 17 to 24 this morning. Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 17. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Well, please keep your Bibles open there. I heard a lovely story about an African gentleman who came to this country to work uh, uh, as a Christian worker in connection with a church. But uh, this was his first time flying and his first time travelling to England, of course, because of that. And when he came into Heathrow Airport, he didn't know the the way the customs and everything worked and he was uh, a little bit unsure what to do. And he saw two lanes before him. Uh, A green lane which said nothing to declare and a red lane that said something to declare. And he thought, well, I have something to declare. (laughs) And so he went to the red lane and he went up to the customs official, opened his bag and they said, what have you got to declare? And he pulled out his Bible and he said, I have to declare to you today the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that gentleman may have been a little bit confused, but his point was bang on, wasn't it? You know, we as Christians have something wonderful to to declare, the greatness of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. As we sometimes sing in that Grand Kendrick song, knowing you, Jesus, there is no greater thing. And I wanted to show you this morning why it is wonderful to be a Christian. Because it is a wonderful thing to be a Christian. Now, I didn't say life is always wonderful when you become a Christian. (laughs) Because, quite frankly, it isn't. 
We face the same stresses and pressures and problems that everyone else in the world does. But even in the midst of that, we can say it is so wonderful to know the Lord. So wonderful to be a child of God, to be born again, blood-washed, spirit-filled and walking with him. It's a wonderful thing to be a Christian. You know, that's why the church never stops growing, even in persecution. I came across this uh, amazing statistic about the Masoretti Church in Ethiopia. Do you know, in 1974, there were 5,000 Masoretti Christians in Ethiopia. And a few years later, without a single church service, because it was banned, it was a banned, uh, Christianity was banned, they weren't allowed to meet, that church grew to 50,000 strong without a single church service. You say, well, how did that happen? That happened because Christians were saying, I found the Lord and you need to find him too. It's so good to be a Christian. And this is, the, this is the, our testimony, the blessing of knowing the Lord. And this really comes out for us in Luke chapter 10 today because in this passage here, we see the Lord Jesus' disciples coming back from a missionary journey. Now, if I can put Luke's gospel in a simplified form for you, it has a very simple program. Chapters 1 to 9 are all about the Lord Jesus coming, and chapters 9 to the end are about Jesus going. Because in chapter 9, we come to the point where he starts his journey up to Jerusalem to go to die on the cross. And we have what's called in theology terms, Luke's long journey to Jerusalem and to the cross from chapter 9. And in this last section, chapters 9 to the end, it starts off with the Lord Jesus sending out his disciples to go before him into every place and to proclaim his kingdom and his coming. In chapter 9, he sends out the 12 disciples and in chapter 10 you'll notice in verse 1 he sends out the 70 as it is in the King James or the 72 as it is in other translations Uh, the 12 and the 70 two different groups of disciples but all followers of the Lord Jesus a little bit like the 12 palm trees and the uh, 12 uh, pools and the 70 uh, palm trees at Elim in the, the Old Testament in Exodus 15 you have these two things together And the disciples are sent out by the Lord Jesus to go and proclaim his kingdom. And here in chapter 10 and verse 17, the 72 come returning back to the Lord Jesus with good news about how their mission has gone. And Christ is so encouraged himself in this passage. We even read in verse 21 of his joy being full of that joy through the Holy Spirit, the encouraging news of their mission, that he in turn encourages them with the blessings of what it means uh, to be his disciple. And I want to share these to us for us today to be encouraged by and to, to put on a good advert for becoming a Christian. And there's four things, okay, that we see in this passage. In Christ, we have the greatest power, In verse 17 and 18, we have the greatest protection in verse 19. We have the greatest prospect in verse 20. And we have the greatest privilege in verse 21 to 24. So I want us to look at this now this morning and see why it is wonderful to be a Christian. 
First of all, it's wonderful because we have the greatest power. Come back to verse 17 with me for a moment, and you'll see the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And the Lord Jesus had sent them out to heal the sick and to cast out demons, and they were to do it in his name. And the name of the Lord Jesus Christ carries with it his authority. You know, if you're a soldier and you've got a job to do and uh, a, a, an officer comes up to you and say, why are you doing this? And what you do is you say, so-and-so told me to do it. And depending on their rank being greater or, or uh, lower than the person who's asking, uh, you will be allowed to carry on doing what you're doing. If you say, you know, the general told me to do it, they're, they're going to back. You carry on, son. You're doing a good job. <laughs> because the name carries the power with it. And we carry the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as Christians in this world. And the disciples were able to even drive out demons. Chrysostom, in, in his uh, homily on this passage, talks about hordes of demons being crushed by the name of Jesus, which gives such a graphic description, isn't it, of all the demons coming out of people and being driven out by the name of Jesus as the 72, those 35 pairs going out, 36 pairs going out and uh, witnessing for the Lord everywhere they went, they found there was great power in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was so great that the Lord Jesus could see Satan's downfall in the land of Israel at that time. He said, he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. To fall uh, from heaven to earth is a picture of judgment. Lamentations 2 verse 1, you'll, you'll see that God's judgments come down from heaven to earth and it's a picture of Satan's Fall. Some people believe this was his historic fall, looking back to his uh, fall from being uh, Lucifer, the chief cherub. Others think this refers to his future fall in the tribulation, Revelation 12, when he's cast to the earth. But I personally think in the context, it's the, the impact of the Lord Jesus' name and driving out the demons in each of those hearts. Satan has fallen in terms of his power in that place. And a greater power has come, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when I was a child, my Sunday school teacher taught us this in, in a Sunday school lesson. And she told us there's great power in the name of the Lord Jesus. And she taught us at a child level. And I honestly tell you, I've never forgotten. I can't remember most of my Sunday school lessons, but I can remember that one. And I can remember her saying, when you're frightened of the devil, say in the name of the Lord Jesus, go away. And ever since I've been a child, I was a child, I've prayed that in the night if I have nightmares or in scary situations in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go away because there's power in the name of the Lord Jesus. You know, John Wesley was preaching the gospel one time and a man came to disrupt the meeting. Nothing new there. But uh, he was trying to disturb the meeting while John Wesley was preaching and John Wesley pointed to him. And said, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Satan, go. And the man sat down as quiet as a mouse and stayed quiet for the rest of the service. And he was able to carry on preaching. Charles Wesley thought that was so amazing, he put it into a hymn that we started the service with. 
Jesus, the name high over all, in hell or earth or sky, angels and men before it fall, and devils fear and fly. Drives out the power of Jesus, uh, power of, of the devil. Do you know, uh, when I was younger, I was very interested in the subject of UFOs because I, I was thinking, as a Christian, how does this all work out and fit in? And I read lots of Christian books uh, uh, looking at the subject of UFOs and aliens, and I became convinced that it was a satanic deception rather than really being people from outer space. And one of the things that persuaded me that was true was I read the testimony of a lady who had what they call these alien abductions, these horrific experiences that people are genuinely convinced they've had. And many cases, they come out with physical marks on their body which are weird and it is very strange. But she heard somewhere about Jesus and she just said one day, in Jesus' name, go. And the whole thing stopped immediately. And I thought, for me, that tells me where it's coming from. But it also tells me how great and powerful the name of the Lord Jesus Christ really is. We used to sing that song, didn't we? There's power in the name of Jesus. And you can go home from church singing that this morning if you want to sing that instead of uh, Wesley's hymn. And it's true, the name of Jesus is the greatest power. That's why it's a name that's abused. Because the devil hates that name. Do you ever wonder why they don't swear by the name of Buddha or Muhammad or anything? Why do they always say, oh, Jesus Christ? It's because that's the name the devil hates. That's one of the things that, again, convinces me Christianity is true. There's an awareness with the name of Jesus that people inside instinctively know. Next time you're in a crowd, start talking about Jesus. And you'll see people go quiet. You'll see people look at you funny and turn around. It won't happen if you talk about anybody else. You talk about Jesus. There's something, it's mysterious, isn't it? That they know, they know in their hearts something about Jesus. But there is authority in his name. Because as Paul said to the Ephesians, his name is the name which is above every other name. And uh, it had a power which they could turn to. Dear friends, I want to say this is good news for us as Christians. We have a power which is the only one which is the match for the devil. You realise guns and bullets and bombs are no effect on the devil. There's only one thing, the name of Jesus. And I don't know when in your life that may be relevant. Maybe something to hold in the memory for a future situation. But one day it may be. Maybe it's something you should teach your children or grandchildren. Get on the right side of that name. Put your trust in Christ that name which tells us he came to be our saviour, Matthew one twenty one. That name in which we pray. That name in which we offer even a cup of cold water in his name and get a reward. That name which led to the healing of the, the man at the beautiful gate or the deliverance of the girl in Philippi. Get on the right side of that name and you'll get the right benefits out of it. What a power we have as Christians to have the name of Jesus. Praise the Lord. Second thing I want you to see is we have the greatest protection. In verse 19, as this passage goes on, the Lord Jesus extended his words to the disciples on this theme. And he said, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will 
harm you. Now the Lord Jesus here is talking about the protection that he is going to give to those who follow him. And it is protection, again, connected with him and his authority, his exousia, as it is in the Greek, in verse 20, uh, sorry, verse 19. And he says in the NIV, and I think in the ESV and others, I have given you authority. In the King James, it says, I give you authority. And according to John Wesley's commentary on it, that's what the Greek is. I give it to you, and it's a continual flow. It's not, I have given it to you once in the past. I give you authority in the name of the Lord Jesus. And that authority is protection for uh, the Christian against the devil. Again, connected with his name, but also just with his authority. And it's for offensive and defensive purposes. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. That's offensive. Now, you see, it talks about snakes and scorpions. There's 36 different types of snake in Israel. Seven of them are poisonous. The most common and most deadly is all over Israel. They never told you that when you went to Israel, did they? (laughs) But it's normally uh, a snake, which is only in places where there's mice because it likes to hunt, but it can strike quickly and it can kill. And there are scorpions. Most scorpions will give you a very painful bite, but there are some that have even a fatal sting, I'm told. So these are, are physical things, but they're spiritual things as well, because snakes and scorpions in the Bible are pictures of evil spirits. Do you remember the devil tempted Eve in the Garden of Eden? How did he come disguised as a snake? And he's called in Revelation 12:9 that old serpent, the devil. And in the book of Ezekiel, evil spirits are likened to scorpions and things that the people were worshipping wrongly in the temple. And these things like to hide and they like to hurt. And that's what the devil likes to do. He likes to hide and he likes to hurt. He's occult. Occult means hidden. And he likes to spring from a hidden place and he likes to hurt. But Jesus says, I've given you authority to tread on or trample snakes and scorpions. Now, when you tread on something, you're declaring mastery over it. You know, the Lord Jesus walked on the water, didn't he? What was the significance of that miracle? Well, we know it's an impossibility for anyone else. But also, it was a sign to the disciples. The things you're worried about, I have authority over. They're under my feet. I trample on them. And he walked over the water to the disciples. Where Jesus is saying, I give you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. And we have the authority which will protect us when we are engaged in the Lord's work to be able to go forward in his name. Let's talk about that physically for a moment. In the book of Acts, we see the Apostle Paul on Malta in Acts 28. And a viper comes out of the fire, latches on to Paul, and everybody expects him to die. Now, that is a spiritual attack as well. Because you know what? The interesting thing is, you read books on Malta, Malta doesn't have any snakes. So where did that snake come from? There's something occultic, devilish in that. And the devil wanted to get Paul before he got to Rome. But no... Paul was preserved by the power of God. Nothing 
will harm you. He was protected. The defensive side of it, nothing will harm you. And he was able to go on the offensive with the authority and the power of Jesus' name in the proclamation of truth as well. And spiritually that is true as well. Uh, We can know God's protection. Sometimes we're worried about engaging uh, in in Christian living uh, in, in occultic situations. But the name of the Lord Jesus and the authority we have in him is able to protect us. This is why I believe the book of Ephesians was written to the church at Ephesus. If you read in the book of Acts about the church at Ephesus, you'll read about the occultic nature of Ephesus and how they burnt their scrolls of witchcraft. Well, Paul spends a long time in the book of Ephesians dealing with spiritual warfare because many of them would have been frightened. Now we've become Christians and we've left the devil's side. Is he going to get us? Is he going to get us? And the message of the book of Ephesians is no, he can't because you're in Christ. You're in his protection and authority. Uh, I I read an interview with some missionaries from OMF called Mark and Susan Chapman who worked among the Tigwa people in the Philippines some years ago. And in the interview they asked this question, have you encountered opposition from the spirits, evil spirits? And they said yes, many times. For example, one man believed and was baptised. That night a powerful demonic spirit came and attacked his wife physically trying to strangle her. The husband prayed and the spirit left. The wife believed when she saw that Jesus was more powerful than the demons. Westerners struggle with the idea of the spirit world interacting with the physical, but the Tigwa don't separate the physical from the spiritual like we do in the West. To them it's all one. We have to minister and teach at the level of the spiritual realm with particular reference to their origins as already mentioned because that's where they're at many Christians would be frightened to go and minister in those situations but we have the Lord's protection in the authority of his name he says nothing will harm you now that doesn't mean nothing will go wrong for you All right, Jesus didn't say that but he's saying nothing will harm you in the same way that Romans 8 tells us nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We are secure in our salvation. Nobody can pluck you from my hands, said the Lord Jesus in John 10. We are secure in him. And sometimes he will extend that to physical protection, even against attacks from these creatures or similar things. Um, uh, C.T. Studd, the missionary to the Congo, his, his, uh, his servants came running into the meeting one morning uh, and they said, Master, Master, you must come quickly. And he came to his tent and they took him to his tent and they had his sleeping bag and there were men beating it with a stick. He said, what are you doing with my sleeping bag beating you with a stick? They said, Master, there's a snake in there. And he'd slept all night long with a deadly snake in there. But like Psalm 91 says, and like this says, the Lord protected him. When I was in Reading, I went to a missionary meeting once, and it was very interesting. It was about Muslims who had been converted in Cyprus and Turkey. And uh, there was a young man who gave a testimony, and he said about how when he'd become a Christian, his parents who were Muslim saw that as a public disgrace to their family, and they tried to poison him to death 
They put, his mother put poison in his meal, evening meal, every day. And this went on for weeks and it wasn't doing anything to him. They couldn't understand it and they said to him one day, what's going on? Why isn't this working on you? And he said, it's the Lord Jesus must be protecting me so you can know he's real. And praise God, they came to faith. So we can be encouraged by that, can't we, dear friends? We have the greatest protection. If you don't know Christ as your saviour and Lord, I want to say to you, you're still in the devil's kingdom. You don't have that protection. You're walking around unprotected. And you are at the mercy of the evil one. I want to plead with you to flee from the devil's side. And as Paul said to the Colossians about turning from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the son of his love. And you'll be protected in Christ, the one who can keep you. Third thing we have as believers here is the greatest prospect in verse 20. The Lord Jesus went on and he said, however... Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You know, one of the dangers of power is power can sometimes go to people's heads, isn't it? And uh, sometimes even spiritually, when you're blessed with great spiritual power, it can become a source of pride. I sometimes wonder if that was a little bit of Samson's problem, you know, in the Old Testament. He had that great power, that great strength, and he sort of became a bit complacent, didn't he? He he played too much with the devil. Uh, And the Lord Jesus is warning his disciples, uh, I think, in these words, but at the same time encouraging them, because there's something even greater than having the greatest power in Jesus' name and the greatest protection from his authority. And that is having the greatest prospect of going to heaven. You see, there's one thing that's even greater than being able to cast out devils. Do you know what that is? It's to have your name written in the Lamb's book of life and to know you're going to heaven. In Matthew chapter 7, Matthew tells us that the Lord Jesus taught that on the last great day, there would be many who would appear before him and say, but Lord, we did this in your name and we drove out demons in your name. And he's going to turn around and say to them, but I never knew you. Yeah, it's not the power uh, that is the greatest thing, is the greatest prospect of being saved and going to heaven when you die. And the Lord Jesus said to to them, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. When you become a Christian, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And you have heaven before you. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. Dave often says in his prayer, I'd rather have my name written there than anywhere else. And it is entirely through the Lord Jesus Christ. A few years back, you may remember, there was a terrible train crash on the Metrolink in Los Angeles. And uh, 20, uh, Fire Station 27, I think was the number, was called in. And when they rescued the people out and they found the bodies of those who died, they found a very touching thing on uh, one of the walls of the tube train where a man who had been so severely uh, injured, his blood was pouring out of him and he thought he was dying. He wrote in his blood the names of his family on the door and on the bars around him to say, I love you. 
He wrote their names in his blood. That's amazing, but I want to tell you my name was written in the blood of Jesus in the Lamb's Book of Life. Is yours? That's the greatest prospect, to know you're going to heaven when you die. To know that you have a place. I've got a place in the glory land that outshines the sun and has been preserved for me. And one day I'm going to be taken there because the Lord has done it for me. That's something to rejoice in greater than anything else. You know, Joseph Parker, when his wife died, Joseph Parker was a great preacher at the end of the 1800s into the 1900s. He was a very famous minister, very powerful preacher. His wife was his life to him and he loved her. When she died, he didn't want to put on the gravestone that she died. So do you know what he had put on there? She ascended. And he, he asked that that be put on his gravestone too. He, she ascended. And so his gravestone says November the 28th, 1902, ascended into glory. That's our hope as Christians. You know, we have a prospect. That's the greatest prospect of all. And I hope that you will turn to the Lord Jesus. That teaches us the value of salvation. It's greater even than having spiritual power over the devil. It teaches us the vitality of salvation. There's nothing more important than that. And it's vital that you come to Christ. Thirdly, uh, fourthly, we have the greatest privilege, which is what verses 21 to 24 are about. Because at this point, the Lord Jesus uh, pours out his praise in prayer to his heavenly Father. Verse 21, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit. And I think that's the only place in the Gospels that actually says that. But he is full of joy through the Holy Spirit. He said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. The greatest privilege we have as Christians is to have had our eyes opened to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the greatest privilege, to have had our eyes opened to the Lord Jesus Christ, to see the truth in him. You think about all the people outside of this church in this community. There's no shortage of sinners going to hell in Coombdown. It's a terrible, terrible death march all around us. And yet how few of us have had our eyes opened to see the glory of the Saviour. This is a privilege which is breathtaking, isn't it? And it's something which Jesus himself said he praised his father for. And he praised it especially because he had hidden these things from the wise and learned. What does that mean? Quite frankly, the Pharisees were too clever and full of their theology to be able to accept what the prostitutes and tax collectors were receiving as little children. And they were coming and taking salvation as a free gift. The theologians were saying, oh yes, but, 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 but. And they wouldn't come. But little children in Christ were turning to the Saviour and believing on him. And Jesus says, yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. Isn't that an amazing verse? That was God's plan all along. 
In fact, in verse 22, Jesus shows his sovereignty and the sovereignty of the Father in this revelation. He says, all things have been committed to me by my Father. That's his authority. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. You know, it's true, isn't it? Uh, Everybody thinks they know someone until they're the one who's in the closest relationship with them. You all think you know me, but Heather really knows me, okay? And she could choose to reveal an awful lot. (laughs) But, you know, that's like us and the Lord Jesus. You know, we may know about God in a general sense, but it's the Lord Jesus who knows the Father, and the Father knows the Son, who reveals these things to us. And those to whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. This is an amazing thing. This is the sovereignty of God in salvation. Came across a beautiful story recently about a little girl who got lost in some big woods in America. And I say woods, I mean for us it's probably more like a forest. But she got lost in this woods and it was a very serious situation. She'd wandered off and parents and people from the local community were searching through these woods trying to find this child. And it went dark. And the parents, of course, were beside themselves, walking around, calling out the child's name, trying to find the child. And the sun came up the next morning as they were all trudging around with their torches. And the father looked up and he saw the little girl sat on a high rock. And he went running up to her. And she threw her arms around him. And she said, Daddy, I found you. (laughs) Now that's how the child thought, I found you. But the father was looking for the child long before the child found the father. This is the, this is the privilege of salvation. We turn to the Lord and say, Lord, it's so good I found you. But the Lord smiles, I revealed my son to you. <laughs> you. That's how you saw the Lord Jesus. And why do we see the father? Because the father was revealed to us through the son remember what uh, philip said lord show us the father and that will be enough for us and 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 jesus said philip do you not know me (laughs) if you've seen see me you've seen the father and there's an interesting cross reference in 1 john chapter 5 verse 20 it says we know also that the son of god has come and has given us understanding do you hear that the son of god has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and uh, it's, it's, it's this great privilege. And of course that privilege was especially so for the 12 and the 72. Because in verse 23, then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. They were especially privileged because they saw Christ in his earthly ministry. Prophets who lived in the Old Testament had things revealed by the prophetic gift of God hadn't seen it in the flesh, the fulfillment like they saw. And the kings who could command whatever they wanted, they couldn't command the revelation of God that was given to those disciples. I say it every year and I'm so jealous of the shepherds in Bethlehem. They saw the Son of God as a baby. Something that's never seen before will never be seen again. (laughs) 
And that amazing privilege was given to those men that night. But that privilege is given to all of us who have come to know Christ as our Saviour and Lord. And it doesn't come by the five senses. It doesn't come by our wisdom. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Simon Peter, but my Father who is in heaven. The Lord has opened our eyes. And what this does for me is this affects my worship because I want to say thank you, Lord. Thank you that you ever did that for me. And it affects my witness. Because when I'm witnessing to people, I'm praying aside, Lord, open their eyes. Show them yourself. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. I tell you, friends, it's the best thing in the world to be a Christian. It's wonderful. Would you like to become a Christian today? I don't know if there's somebody here today or somebody who's watching on Zoom who's never yet become a Christian, never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for your sins and rose again. And eternal life can be yours if you put your trust in him today. And each of these benefits that was given to all the children of God in the past can be yours today as well. So come to Christ and you also, like that man, will have something to declare. How great is our God.